gentlemen to episode 18 of pounding the table super sorry we couldn't get this to you guys yesterday but tony was spending some time with his brother and girlfriend walking around marin county hiking checking out those hills i ended up having a casual breakfast that somehow turned into this crazy uh boozy brunch and needless to say <laughs> we took the day off to celebrate an insane month i'm feeling like jordan out here today certainly not feeling my best this morning but champions take no days off tony Avi, I love it. And I don't want you to take any days off because I'm not going to. It was certainly November to remember, folks. And we got one more month here to round the bases. And for those of you who are new, Pine the Table is a podcast by Avi Mash and Anthony O'Hein, yours truly, talking about the stock market, the art of options trading. And each week we analyze the news and provide our opinions and insights around how we think the markets will be impacted from that. Quick disclaimer here for everybody. The thoughts on this podcast are purely that of opinion and of our own personal investments. Everything said on every episode of Pounding the Table, as well as our Twitter account, are not and should never be used as financial advice, recommendations, or solicitation. And with that being said, Avi, let's kick it off. And Tony, before we do kick things off, I just want to pause for a second and really thank our fans. The support from Pound Nation guys and gals have been truly unbelievable, to say the least. Uh, really remarkable to see what we've done as Pound Nation since we started this back in June. Yeah, I mean, the stories we've heard are just honestly amazing. It makes us so happy to hear everyone succeeding and, and having a good time. And, and people who have had, you know, not great success in the past now having great success because they, they found something they like to listen to. So it's, that's the best feeling ever. And we wanted to give a special shout out to one of our favorite fans, Danny Schmitz, at Danny Schmitz on Twitter. Danny boy, your girlfriend, Emily, is awesome. One of my other favorite stories we heard just real quickly, our buddy Casey told us about one of his family friends, Nolan M. Apparently has started this cult following at UPenn. He had set up a timer during dinner so he could leave and go listen to the last podcast right as we released it with a bunch of his friends. So that is amazing, <laughs> Nolan. Shout out to UPenn and your friends there. Yeah, Avi, that's absolutely amazing. A lot of folks have been asking us to create a chat room too, newsletters, more ways to stay in touch with us, which we might get to eventually. But right now, we just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone and just reiterate that the podcast is now and will always stay 100% free. Exactly. We are the pod for the people. For everyone who's been listening, clearly this last month has been the most intense, insane trading month of both of our lives. So before we dive into this episode, I had introduced this concept of Unwind Fridays, given the insane rippers we've experienced the past month. Yeah, Avi, absolutely. I love the concept because after all these insane moves and all these names, like all the growth names that we talk, you know, my top five, six, and then all the other newer stocks that we're getting into the mini monsters have just been going crazy. And at this point, it's important to make sure you can't lose your shirt, right? Always revert back to rule number one, which is make sure you can live to trade another day. So this concept of unwind Friday is basically by the end of the week, just make sure you have your portfolio set and things that don't make you uncomfortable, right? Maybe you trim down a little bit, maybe you hedge, maybe, you know, you just take off some risk, whatever you want to do. And I know Avi's still very, very bullish. And we had this conversation a lot. Yeah. Uh, so tell people what you're thinking, Avi. Totally. So I, I know your charts. I'm not a chart guy. You are. You said you thought we were nearing the top. 
And I just think, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm wrong here. Obviously, you know, way more than I do, but just my gut feeling is that there's this pandemic going on, right? So I think it would just be absolutely crazy to not do another stimulus. Jay Powell, Yellen, they're probably warming up those money printers ready to go. Because if they start to try to increase rates during this pandemic, when people are out of jobs, people are getting sick, I just could see that being really, really bad. So I think that unfortunately will happen down the road. But my personal take is that I think that they're going to try to delay this as long as possible. They're going to pump some more cash in and, and I'm still bullish here for the, the coming months for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, And I honestly don't even disagree with you. Like I know I said that at some point we'll have maybe a five, maybe 10% little drop, which has happened many times since all this craziness has been happening. So the only reason I was even saying I completely agree with on one Friday and I took it to heart and I raised, I guess, like a quarter of my portfolio in cash. And we'll talk about what I mean by cash at the end of the episode, because some of it's actually dollar bills and some of it's in other names that we'll be talking about that I think are the same kind of risk. And in fact, way better upside than cash is. I do think you're right. I, we could easily trend all the way up to 4,000, 4,200. It's not even that crazy anymore. I mean, but consider where we are in the economy. We still have 7% unemployment. And we're still at 3,700. I mean, that's very crazy. The only reason is because on the way to get to 4,000, 4,200, I bet you there's another five or 10% drop, but it'll come right back up as it's been, in my opinion. So I guess we're agreeing, but you know, I'm just taking a little bit more risk off because of how insane this last month has been. So Tony, last week we introduced the first ever edition of Mini Monsters. <laughs> <laughs> as a refresher, we realized that we were probably talking way too much of our main names. So Mercado Libre, Teladoc, Essie, who, side note, went absolutely nuts last week. But talking about these mini monsters that are up next, these little baby monsters who one day are going to grow to become the Incredible Hulk. Avi, I, I love everything you just did there. I just want to touch on SC there for a second, though. That that banking license is going to be massive for them, and I could easily see them going to 250 to 300 very quickly. I mean, they have these three huge legs. We talk about them all the time. They have the video game, like gaming industry leg. They have the e-commerce leg. They have the payments leg. And I mean, adding an actual license for a bank is is, is huge for SC, especially the area that they're in. That's going to, that TAM in that area is going to get so, so big. It's the same as like Mercado Libre. Literally like in Latin America, there's very, very few percentage of people there with actual bank accounts. And it's like under 50%, I believe. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm pretty sure it's under 50%. And I'm sure it's less in those like Southeast Asia areas. So that's going to be huge for them continuing to grow and grow in that one leg on top of the other two legs, which are still killing it. But Avi, as you're saying, you know, we talk about these names all the time because these are the ones that are, I guess, for me, these are the Apples. These are the Microsofts that I'm holding now. And I assume that kind of risk with them. But these new mini monsters have the potential to be insane. And one part of the mini monster segment specifically, which we talked about many times before in other podcasts, is SPACs. And the reason why SPACs are becoming so hot now is you had so many deals that happened five, six, seven months ago. And the average time for SPAC deals now is about six to eight months. So shout out again to Lector Ventures for creating that data for us, finding that out. And it's pretty insane to think all these companies are going to be merging in the next five to six months. And a lot of them are happening in December. A lot of them are going to be happening in January. And some of them happen now way, way earlier than they've been happening in the past. So I think the time that a SPAC, you know, initially IPOs to the time of the merger, it's starting to get way, way faster because there's all these companies that are noticing this crazy bull market and they want to get in on the public markets because this is when they can raise the most money. This is like probably the best opportunity for them to do this. And you've got a bunch of sectors going insane, EV, You've got payment fintech. It, everything is just really hitting the markets now. And the crazy part is, and we'll talk about this later, warrants on these SPACs 
sometimes they're so cheap, can go five to 10 X calls on these specs can go 10, 20, 30 X. And I just think if you can find the ones with the right management, the right market structure of like their deal and the right company for the acquisition and you buy them at the right time. I mean, this is like what I'm going to be focusing on heavily for the next three to six months until SPACs are not hot anymore. Maybe they'll be hotter for longer, but this is where I think the mini monsters are really going to be a big part of. So before we jump into the new mini monsters, let's quickly talk about last week. So I want to start off obviously with our baby Nanox. That thing was an absolute roller coaster. Probably felt like you were at Six Flags riding that thing last week. Uh, It hit in the high 60s. It started the week at 52.30 since we last pounded on on last week's episode and ended the week at 57.04. So you guys know we've been fanboys of Nanox since the IPO when we got in at around $20. Uh, I had mentioned I trimmed a little bit before the event. It had just ran so, so much. But like a total psycho, I added some back right before the (laughs) event that we've been talking about. There was just way too much noise that I was hyping that thing up and I just couldn't not be evolved right before the event. So I've really never seen anything like that in my life last week. It was just up and down. It almost felt like a World War III between the bears and the bulls on that day of the demo. I thought the demo went really well. Some of those images were just absolutely incredible. Of course, I'm not a medical doctor nor a radiologist, but from what I saw, I was very impressed. The second webinar was solid too. I got to say, I did get a little weirded out uh, by the male radiologist. There was just that one point where it seemed like the CEO ran, had, had told him to stop talking. He felt a little salesy. Uh, I thought the woman did a phenomenal job. Overall, I'm still pounding this thing. But that second demo just kind of gave me a little bit of a weird vibe. If they do, though, get that FDA approval and they get these built out and ready to go in 2021 like they have planned, there's no reason to not keep holding this, in my opinion. Yeah, Avi, I'm 100% still saying $200. And I've said that since the first time I ever mentioned Nanox. And I'm going to say $200 every time until it hits $200. Like SE just hit $200 last week. So the thing about the demo is everyone can think what they think if it went well if it went poorly like no one cares about your opinion the truth is at the end of the demo they had 500 to 600 inquiries for orders so that's pretty huge which means it doesn't matter what your opinion is people like the demo who have the money to buy these things the people who are going to be the customers want it so i think the demo was a huge success for just that reason on its own obviously and then it just showed that this is not a fake company this is not a nicholas situation so, you know, still very, very long Nanox. One of my bigger positions now after seeing the demo, I'm just going to still hold that $200 price target because that's really what I think the valuation should be. If the 5,100 units that they have now are, you know, completed and, and given out in the next year or so. And I know that they're going to have a lot more issues with like, I guess, scaling these products as they're going to get bigger and bigger. Well, like 500 to 600 inquiries is huge. So they're going to need some economies of scale, but all that really matters in my opinion for companies at this stage is demand and they got it. We got a really in-depth episode. So we want to fly through a few of these other ones. Again, massive week last week. Tony, run through the other mini monsters. How'd they do last week overall? It was just an incredible week last week, especially your thesis pick, which I know you're proud of, TRNE. Uh, went from 1288 to 1737. And December 10th is when that's going to be turning into desktop metal. Ticker symbol is going to be DM. And Chamath gave this a nice pound, which uh, pumped it up Friday after hours too. Another thesis pick here, Feek. Obviously, I think both of us equally really just pounded the table on this one. 1305 to 1776. Declaration of Independence numbers there. Some fireworks too. This is going to turn into skills on December 16th. SI, so this blockchain company, 33.07 to 42.37. Love that. I mean, this is going to be like, you know, the the broker that you're going to be using for crypto, in my opinion, for a lot of reasons, especially for leverage. If they do that uh, cut of leverage that the administration is wanting to do. SRAC, 13.2. 
to 15.75. And this one's got a little bit more time to go, but this one has that flight with SpaceX happening soon. KCAC, which we actually didn't get in because it already started running before we mentioned it, but we wanted to talk about it. Change the ticker symbol QS there. It went from 33 to 42. Avi's little favorite weed stock, CCHWF, 14.14 to 14.88. So nice conviction and pounding the table there. Always have to shout out my boy Van Man here. TRSSF and TCNNF have just been beasts. I mean, both TRSSF went over 120% since he told me about it. TCNNF up 50%. So he's slacking on that one a bit. I'm completely kidding. He killed it. He killed it. He killed it. So MGNI as well, 1947 to uh, 21.07. But that one we've been pounding since it was in the 12s. And of course, Nanox, what a week. So a lot of great things happening. And this is why I was mentioning that these SPACs have been going insane. And not all of them are these long-term investments. But if you are in trading them, you know, you should probably trade the ones that are the better companies that will be uh, merged with. So these are the ones that we've looked into that we like the best that we're investing in. But once again, a lot of these SPACs are super volatile. And if the market doesn't like SPACs anymore, then this is going to stop being hot very quick. But I say press the iron while it's hot. That's what I'm doing, especially with these new SPACs that are having this news in the next month or so. And Tony, before we even came up with that amazing name called Mini Monsters, we had a few quote unquote mini monsters that we did talk about that you still want to bring up here. So GRWG, Celsius, C-E-L-H, and then F-T-H-M. Right, yeah. I mean, all three of these names have done really, really well. So Grog is one that I traded around but didn't hold long term. But I do think that as you know, you just saw that the cannabis industry is pretty much going to be free reign in the United States with the the House bill passing there. So that's not going to be one that I think slows down, especially with TRSSF and TCNNF as well. And even your pick CCHWF, those will all continue to do well as like marijuana becomes completely legal in the United States over time. Celsius, Fathom, and I'm just going to throw in Futu here. People have asked me if I'm still along these names. Yeah, I'm along all three of them. I think that they have the potential to continue to be mini monsters. I mean, just because they've already ran 100% doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to run another 100, 200, 300% in the next year or two, as long as they keep doing well in their reports. So going to pound those as well. But, you know, I want to hear about the new names, Avi. You want to hear about the new names? These aren't just any types of name, Tony. This is part two of Mini Monsters. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, anyways, so the first mini monster I want to talk about is new. Ticker symbol is going to be NIU. This one was first told to me from one of my buddies, Anthony, who I work with. He's the same guy who gave me Jumia early on. So NIU was founded in 2014. It's the world's leading lithium-powered electronic two-wheeler company. Say that, that five ten, times fast. Uh, I was going to say, say that <laughs> 10 times fast. Many different products across the portfolio, NQI, MQI, UQI, NIU, Aero, Gova, RQI, TQI, and NIU power accessories, uh, as well as their outdoor sports bicycle. So two of their models, the MQI and UQI, are actually the only mobility products that have won all seven major international design awards over the past 20 years. So that within itself is massive. Taking a look at some of their numbers, NEO's sold over 1 million smart electronic two-wheelers. So far, it's expanded into 38 countries with retail stores across cities in Asia and Europe and Latin America. So far, the stock is up massive on the year. I believe it's up 260%. Market cap's at $2.1 billion. Last quarter, during their third quarter earnings, they showed about $137 million increase. 36% year-on-year. 39% of that was in China. 35% of that was international. Their current net profit margins are 7.6, so higher than last year by 1.6%. 
So clearly the numbers are there. Super exciting space. Obviously, EV is blown up with uh, cars, but this is kind of a new area, right, with scooters. So is this something that you'd be interested in as well or looking into? Yeah, absolutely. So we don't try to pound things that have been pounded just for no reason. I mean, like there's a lot of these EV companies that are going to have no profits, no revenues for a lot of years, and there's nothing really truly special about them. And I know everyone's buying these random things that are going 200, 300, 400, 500 percent. And like, I would tell you probably not to do that just, you know, for a risk measurement, like you should look into the companies and then just trade these hot stickers for no reason, unless you're only strictly trading. But if you're investing in these long-term, you should look into which ones are doing what they're doing. And for me, I love the fact that Neo is doing something different than just the standard. We made a car, whether it's electric or hydrogen or whatever, like Neo is doing these like different vehicles that are these scooters, these two wheelers. It's very, very different than this standard. Well, we have a four wheel electric or a hydrogen car that we're bringing to the market and three or four years. So I'm a big fan of that. I own a lot of the December 30 calls and I'll probably roll them. I just think it's due for a bounce anytime soon because the numbers are there. So that's another huge thing. You can already see which companies are making profit in this area and which companies have three or four years to even get started doing that. So I much prefer personally to own the ones that are already crushing it. And you know that they have a big runway for growth. So like Niu does the two wheel vehicles. EH has the potential to take over like South Korea and a lot of Asia as their EVTOLs, like their flying drones. So that's really what I'm focusing on here more so than just like the Hylions or the Shills. They're, you know, not really doing any revenue right now for a while. And Tony, you're always talking about this picks and shovels. So I thought it was kind of funny you picked this next stock, ticker symbol MP, which is MP materials. Yeah. So, and this also goes along with a lot of things we're talking about. So we want to have things that are picks and shovels to industries that we think are going to be crushing it regardless of who's the winner. So it's kind of a hedge against your own, you know, specific choices for which stocks to play the trend. So if you're playing EVs, you know, it depends on which one you buy. But if you're playing the, the, the sector as a whole, which I obviously think it's going to continue to grow, something like MP would be very good to have. It's the same as like BLFS, BioLife Sciences for CRISPR, uh, NTLA, which I just want to touch on that for a second. CRISPR went from 100 to 150. And that's one of my biggest pounds. And that happened in like a week and a half. So that space is getting huge. And BLFS went from 20 to 40. And shout out to Austin Lieberman for showing me BLFS. And also, shout out to Austin Lieberman again for putting MP on my radar. So he honestly finds fantastic picks and shovels. And talking about MP, so MP Materials Corp owns and operates Mountain Pass, an iconic American industrial asset, which is the only rare earth mining and processing site on scale in the Western Hemisphere. And it currently produces approximately 15% of the global rare earth content. And 15% of global rare earth content is a huge percent to own, especially when these are the inputs, the critical inputs for like the magnets that enable the mobility of electric vehicles, drones, defense systems, wind turbines, robotics, a lot of high growth industries, advanced technologies, all of it. Like this is like the pick and shovel for pretty much most of what we pound. So I did start a position in this and I'm going to continue to add to it over time. The numbers here, I'm a really big fan of as well. So quarter three revenue was 41 million, adjusted EBITDA 11.6 million. So they are profitable and they are growing. I think it was what 76% year over year. So big fan of that and they have more to grow. I'm going to be accumulating this. So this is kind of another play we were talking about last week. So SI, Silvergate Bank, that's very much so a pick and shovels play for crypto. So pick and shovel is really interesting because as the entire industry goes well, that is going to benefit just because it's got a little hand in each pot. So you don't have that much idiosyncratic risk on just one name versus the entire sector. You know what's awesome about this one too? I was just checking, uh, Chamath actually gave this one a double pound yesterday or December 4th. I don't even know what day it is anymore. But in addition to desktop metals, another one that we found, MP said it was the two largest investments in climate change today. So can't hate when the, the main man himself gives that a pound. 
And Tony, we've been looking at a lot of international companies, especially the e-commerce giants like Mercado Libre in South America, SC in Southeast Asia, Jumia in Africa. But don't sleep on Russia. The Cold War may be over, but this thing's just heating up. Ozon has been one of the names that I've been seeing all over my Twitter feed by a lot of people I respect. We obviously play these few trends that are really happening right now in the world a lot. So you have SC, Jumia, Mealy, Etsy. All these are becoming huge in this expansion of e-commerce that's happened. You know, it was 10 years happened in three to four months. So that's incredible. And so obviously you'd want to play that trend. And I love the opportunity to get into one that's in an area I haven't had really any investments in before. Uh, so I'll tell you guys about Ozon here. It does business almost exclusively in Russia, sells everything from toys electronics, food, furniture, fast-moving consumer goods. They also allow third-party sellers to sell goods on its website. So its business is very similar to Amazon in a way and kind of mirrors Shopify a tiny bit. So one thing that I like about it and I also don't like about it, it's a 6.6% share of the Russian e-commerce market. But they do have 70% growth. It's it's actually kind of, I think, a benefit overall because they have this small share. So that means that they're only at like a $7 billion valuation. They have a lot of room to run up, especially if that growth continues. So their gross merchandise value expanded 152% in the first half of 2020. So that's obviously very, very strong numbers there. I mean, that's kind of what I was hoping to see with Jumia, but Jumia went for profitability instead a little bit. Their website, Ozon's, gets 63 million views each month. And obviously COVID has also propelled this stock to become able to be talked about on Pine the Table, I guess. It also runs the online travel agency, Ozon.travel. So it's really getting into a lot of these different legs, which I'm liking. That also is a similar trend we have with a lot of the names we own. So another thing I like about, you know, the area in general is that Russia's e-commerce penetration is pretty low at 6%, you know, and you look at China's it's 27%. And that for me is opportunity for growth. I think Russia's it's not really standing still. You know, e-commerce is growing a lot there, 51% year over year in the first six months of 2020. So I love the opportunity to get into something that makes sense as an e-commerce. You know, there's a very spread out area. So this might actually be a better way for them to do business overall. But obviously, if they only own that percent share of the market, there's obviously competitors. You've got wildberries.ru, already big company doing 1.7 billion in sales in 2019, and they own 13% of the market. So that's a pretty big number there as well. And I want to give a shout out to at Get Benchmark Co. He's probably one of the best people on Twitter that I get threads from. I really like if it's hard for me to research a company like Ozon was quite difficult to research, he has like the best thread. So honestly, give him a follow and he's got he's got the, the pound in the table pound for uh, everything he does. So I want to talk about the other competitor, AliExpress.ru. They had 112 million websites in October 2020, uh, grew by 168% in 2018 and 2019 period and they own 68% of the market. So you got these three competitors all growing very well. You can obviously see that this entire trend of e-commerce is working really well in Russia, especially during this COVID time. And I don't think that's going to slow down. People are going to see how easy it is there, which we do in the US. We do that and people do that in China as well and in Southeast Asia now, Latin America. So the trend is obviously here to stay. It's just about who wins. But as we've seen from many different industries in the last three months, you can have many different slices of the pie. Ozon reported 832 million in sales in 2019, got 70 million website visits in October of 2020. They had 84% increase in new active buyers year over year between April and May. And this is just all doing really well, in my opinion. So we wanted to see this kind of action happen with Jumia. And Jumia ended up going the route of trying to decrease a little bit of GMV so they could get better balance sheets to get investors in interested. Obviously, Russia isn't standing still. E-commerce sales grew 51% year over year in the first six months of 2020. You can obviously see that this was, you know, this is a COVID bump. And this is what's going to be happening all over the world for the next year or so, at least in my opinion. 
And as we talk about that expanded base is going to continue to grow over time more than it ever would have before. There's a lot of competitors in this space. There's three big ones. So there's wildberries.ru and they had 1.7 billion in sales in 2019 and they had 139 million website visits in October of 2020. So they're very, very strong company already. AliExpress, so Alibaba's in there as well. AliExpress.ru got 112 million website visits in October 2020 as well. Sale estimates around 1 billion is what they're saying. 162% growth in 2018 to 2019 period for them. So they were growing, and this is also the same for Wild Breeze, and it was, they were growing really well before COVID even happened. And I have to give a big shout out to at Get Benchmark Co. He puts together amazing threads on companies, and some companies are actually pretty hard to find information on. Like Ozon's kind of difficult because it's a Russian company, and not all the numbers translate to USD when you're looking at reports. So he puts together great threads. He's got the pound in the table pound. And obviously, so does Joey Salitro, a great Motley Fool writer. He has amazing names, amazing picks. We're definitely going to bring him on the show at some point, Avi. So let's get back into Ozon's numbers. They did 832 million in sales in 2019, got 70 million website visits in October, 2020. So they're definitely growing as well. And I think it's cool to see all these different companies, even though they have competitors between each other, are all growing really well in this space. The overall market for e-commerce in Russia is growing at 51%. So there's enough pieces of the pie to go around. And one really interesting thing about Russia is that this is really correlated a lot to the Russian ruble. So the Russian ruble's exchange rate was 0.04 in 2008 and it's obviously still very, very low. So let's see, maybe if the US dollar continues to depreciate, that'll spike their revenues and their margin just because of the dollar change in, in valuation in the Forex there. So that's really interesting too, Avi. What do you think? Uh, I need some more Russian friends. I have one buddy, KO, so shout out to Kirill. He had mentioned that a lot of folks are using Alibaba Express, but recently have been switching over to Ozon. Maybe that's due to COVID, probably some logistics, just with obviously being closer than China would be. But ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, it is time for everyone's favorite section. This is the section that's brought absolute bangers. These stocks have people pounding the table so hard they can be felt around the world. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the Pounder's Thesis Pick. I, I really can't get enough of that. I had to put myself on mute while you were saying that so I couldn't <laughs> laugh. You got one here that you found on your very, very own, right in the wheelhouse that you have of software, and it's a SPAC attack. That's right, Tony. This is a SPAC attack. My thesis pick is ticker symbol APXT, which is Apex Technology. They're in line to merge with Avpoint in Q1 of 2021. Bunch of people had said this one to us, so we had to take a look. Most recently in my mind was Slipping Jimmy 99 as well as my buddy Sully, who had asked us to check this out. So shout out to both of those guys. AppPoint is actually a big company already, so it's pretty exciting. They already have over 950 employees. They're the largest provider for both on-prem and cloud software solutions for Microsoft SharePoint, Office 365, and then of course Teams as well. So what they do is they offer their customers this data migration, management, and protection of all of their needs. What's amazing, these guys are already profitable. So I mentioned they were working with Microsoft. They're also a five-time winner of Microsoft's Partner of the Year Award. But as always with SPACs, first thing we always want to check is digging into their management. So their co-CEO, Jeffrey Epstein, and no, 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 that is not the <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein, uh, which is probably why he rocks the name Jeff. But he was the former CFO of Oracle. So this guy's a, you know, no slouch, of course. Mr. Epstein also leads the CFO advisory board at Bessemer that has over 100 companies within their portfolio. And Bessemer has a decent track record, right, in their investments in Pinterest, Shopify, LinkedIn, LifeLock, DocuSign, Twitch. The list goes on. Prior to Bessemer, Epstein held various CFO positions, you know, in major tech companies, including Oracle, as I mentioned, DoubleClick, and Nielsen. He's serving on 20 other boards during the past eight years. 
their co-CEO, Brad Going. Uh, he's a former Goldman Sachs guy, Tony. So I know you don't love Goldman, mm-hmm, but he, uh, <laughs> he worked there for 20 years. So even if you don't like him, that's definitely no slouch either. He was the head of the technology investment banking. He also advised at Microsoft, Dell, Symantec, Oracle, SAP, and eBay. The company expects to generate over $150 million by the end of this year with ARR growing over 30%. So ARR is annual recurring revenue. They're also profitable. That's amazing. They have 14% profit margins, given an evaluation at $2 billion today. They're expected to change their ticker symbol to AVPT in Q1. So let's just dig in a little bit more into this Microsoft relationship, thinking about who they work with, right? I mentioned that they were working with Teams. Microsoft Teams has grown 60%. So they have 115 million active users. Microsoft 365, another big area when they work with, has 250 million users. And AppPoint only has 7 million of that 250 million users today. So about 3% market share. Microsoft 365 is projected to grow from 250 million to 500 million over the next coming years. And they think that they're going to be able to take that 3% to 10%. So that target from 7 million users today that they're working with will grow to 50 million users in the next couple years. And the company's projecting significant growth over the next two years, right? They got revenue estimates of 257 million and ARR revenue of 220 million by the end of 2022. Uh, The difference there, of course, it sounds like they have about 37 million probably in services. So that's the difference between ARR and uh, revenue estimates. They're going to be changing their ticker symbol to AVPT in Q1. This one feels like an absolute no-brainer. They're a sizable company with, you know, over 950 employees, this just really feels like a growing barnacle on the blue whale that Microsoft is. So I'm absolutely pounding this one. It seems like a no-brainer. Absolutely, Avi. I'm going to pound this one with you. I definitely don't want to go against any of Avi's famous thesis picks in the last few weeks. Honestly, I think you'd be doing better than me, and it's it's I got to work harder. But I think I did really good <laughs> with the next one we've got coming up. I just want to say for any of the SPACs that we're looking at, we have to make sure that we do a really good due diligence on them because there's so many coming out now. It reminds me of this 2017 altcoin thing. So there's something you can just trade, but obviously if we want to be investors and traders, which is what we are in pounding the table, we're looking for companies that have good revenue estimate growths, that have paths to profitability that you can clearly see following the trends that we like and think are going to do well in the next coming years. So we're not just trying to look for anything that's going to pop 10 or 20%. We want something that we think could be a long-term winner. Tony, I don't know if I'm ready to take the crown quite yet. I'll hand you the baton still. Your thesis pick is PIC. So try to say that five times fast. (laughs) PIC is Pivotal Investment Corporation in another crowded field here, EV space. Seemed like they were going to be in a bubble that was about to pop. But, you know, we missed the boat here. Huge on laser, ticker symbol L-A-Z-R. So maybe the bubble isn't quite over just yet. Talk us through a little bit why this was your thesis pick here. Yeah, I mean, I don't really think it's a bubble. I think what's happening here is you're seeing that Tesla, who's been in the game for so, so long, really made this like a mainstream thing to go EV and change it. And then you have these policies happening all over the country and honestly, all over the world in different areas at different rates that are moving towards EV and this renewable energy wave. So it is, in a sense, a bubble because some of these names have really no revenue and no idea of where they're going to get revenue from. And a lot of them are just popping if they have the word electric or energy or EV in them. So in that sense, yes, I would agree with the bubble term. But there are some companies that are going to emerge out of this and be you know, beasts in the future, as you've seen Tesla. Because the same thing that people are saying about a lot of these now is what happened to Tesla. And we know for a fact that Tesla is not going to be the only car company that exists in this huge wave that's going to you know, hit every part of the globe at some point. So pick is my pick. Pivotal investment, ticker symbol PIC, is also in this EV space. And the biggest part of this for me 
is the comparison for this one to other companies that are really, really similar space that are also SPACs that are merging this way that everyone's flying high on. The pick to me is super low. You know, you have all these other companies with no product or revenue sitting on 20 to 50 level. As always, when we look into SPACs, we want to know who the management is. So Pivotal is led by chairman and CEO, John Ledecky, a seasoned businessman with over 35 years of investment and operational experience, hundreds of acquisitions across multiple industries, raised 20 billion debt and equity. So obviously this guy's no schmuck either. He also is a co-owner of the Islanders. Kevin Griffin, he's a CEO and CIO of MGG Investment Group. That company is actually quite big. They're a private investment firm managing long-term committed capital for pensions, endowments, foundations. So these guys clearly know their way around the investment world. And for me, I need to see something like that in the initial, you know, looking into these SPACs because otherwise it's going to be one of those like bubble situations. A lot of these other companies with no revenue, no product. Pick does not have that issue though. While the other ones in the space are sitting between 20 and $50 on no revenue and no product. Pick is super low and actually is doing very well. So Pick, the SPAC, is going to be merging with XFleet, whose customers have driven over 130 million miles. 4,284 units have been sold in 2020. So Pick seems as good as it gets, uh, has a direct competitor with Shill, and it's at one-seventh the valuation on an EV revenue basis. And the stock price, I think, is only like one-third of that comparison. So Really, for me, this is a, a spades of spades evaluation and for the entire industry. Also, they have zero debt, $350 million in revenue on XL Fleet, and they're projecting to triple revenue in 2021. And this is the best part that I really like the most, a slew of partners and orders, which include Pepsi, Coca-Cola, FedEx, DHL, and many more. So that is obviously nothing to look over. Revenue growth seems pretty ridiculous here. 25 million for 2020, but 1.37 billion by 2024. So definitely conservative compared to everyone else who's in this space who has no product, no revenue, and is at $20 to $50 as an EV SPAC. Another huge shout out here, uh, this time to my friend Missing Links on Twitter. Incredible investor, even better friend. And one thing I do want to say just overall is I noticed so many of my holdings and the things that we pound now come from doing DD after already hearing someone else pound the table on them. And this didn't really happen to me like a year ago, two years ago, but you know, with Pound Nation and everyone great on Twitter in this FinTwit community, you've never been able to pound the table so many times and with so many people. So shout out to you and shout out to everyone else for doing this. Tony, we've been running super hard here talking about quite a bit of stocks. I know in the beginning of the episode, you started talking a little bit about warrants here. When you mentioned that I ducked down, I was looking for the police to come after me and snag me. <laughs> I was screaming pretty heavy at the TV for some of those college football games. Got absolutely wrecked there. Talk to me a little bit about warrants. Clearly, we're not talking about getting pulled over and, and having a warrant for an arrest. But what are these warrants and, you know, specifically around SPACs? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I know a lot of people love to play options, and that's something I, I do as well on these SPACs. But warrants are really interesting because they have a lot of time, right? So these companies that come out of SPACs become, you know, full-on normal companies that are trading no longer the acquisition company now the actual company they still will have these warrants so you can buy warrants on the SPAC so what a warrant is is basically the right to own one share at a determined price so a lot of these SPACs have 1150 at the strike price so it you can kind of think of it like an option so it's 1150 for the strike price so every dollar over is a, a dollar given to you a lot of the warrants do have some specific clauses so make sure to read the specific clauses because some some do have caps and some do have other uh things you have to get through to be able to redeem the warrant at a higher price or whatever it is. But in general, the SPACs have these warrants and it's, it's really a, co a cool way to play them in my opinion, because these warrants can easily go from a dollar to $33. Like I saw that with Nikola happen, which was VTIC uh, previously. And before it became Nikola is when those warrants were very, very cheap. And then they exploded once the merger happened. So I think that's going to be happening with a lot of these names in the future. Um, specifically the ones that we're talking about this week, because all of these have dates 
happening between the 8th and the 16th and 16th speak. So warrants are a really good way to play this, I think, because it's not necessarily just that normal options premium that can decay over time. Warrants do have a longer uh, expiration date, I guess, or redeem date, which would be most of these are between 2024 and 2026. And so if you're looking for a way to play these and you don't want to put a ton of money in and just kind of take a shot on a couple of these, I think warrants are the way that I would, you know, sprinkle it among a bunch of different ones. So let's jump into a few of these. Ticker symbol is AMCI. The first one we'll talk about, which is Acquisition Corp. There's another SPAC attack. Yep, absolutely. And I think it's going to keep happening for a couple months here. So AMCI, uh, Acquisition Corp, highlights partner advent technologies collaboration. So that's going to be really cool. You're going to see that they're going to be merging with Advent Technologies. And I'll tell you a little bit about what that is. And it is actually in the space that we've been talking about. Um, it is a really, really hot space, but there are some gems, I think, in this EV space. It's not always just electricity. You know, this is a hydrogen play. And I think it's very interesting because everyone's focusing on the Hylians and the shills of the world. Zig one other zag, another Avi favorite line. So they provide a low cost, fuel flexible and resilient fuel cell technology, which solves the need for expensive hydrogen infrastructure. And I think that's one of the reasons why you don't see hydrogen being as prevalent in the world today. It's a proven scalable business model that delivers consistent recurring revenue with a uh, $100 million revenue opportunity per one gigawatt of demand of power. So definitely nothing here to sleep on. The platform technology provides critical performance benefits for a wide range of end markets. Total estimated market size of more than 850, uh, I don't even know if that's a gajillion watts, but I think it's a gigawatts by 2040. Uh, so you can see that obviously renewable energy is going to nonstop continue to grow. And their products are these high temp PEM membranes and membrane and electrode assembly. So not only do they develop, manufacture and sell these high temperature uh, PEM membranes, which are next generation electricity conducting plastics that operate at a really, really high temperature, which significantly enhances capabilities and performance of fuel cells and other clean technology systems. They also develop and license these things. So kind of a powerhouse company for this hydrogen revolution. And I, I know everyone's focusing on just electricity, electricity, solar, all this. But it's interesting to look at the different opportunities that are out there. I do like the projected estimate of the revenue and the numbers overall in this thing. So transaction implies pro forma enterprise value of 358 million. And it's going to be trading at 2.9 times 2024 uh, revenue projections, which are 122.8 million. So definitely not a huge company, definitely not a huge valuation at all. 2.9 times 2024 is very nice. Um, so definitely going to give this one a pound. And this one's coming up, I think, uh, in January. So not immediately on the watch list, but one to look for really, really soon. You're not scared about another Trevor Milton, uh, Nicola situation with this one? I mean, I don't think it's really that common to have that Nicola situation happen. And I, I know that people fed into it. You know, people were buying this knowing that it's not going to come out for a long time. And the story got worse and worse. So, I, I mean, I always said, it. you know, we said this in the pod. I didn't, I don't like Nicola and I didn't want to own it at all. I think you're going to regret owning it. And people probably regret owning it now. But the cool thing about AMCI, which will be Advent Technologies, uh, these fuel cells are able to be in more than just cars. So imagine a refrigerator sized object you buy once and it makes power for you at your home. Hydrogen-based liquid fuel cell for EVs, off-grid power, aviation like drones and eTOLs, and even marine vehicles. So it's kind of touching a lot of the different spaces that we're talking about. And who's to say that it's going to be powered, you know, electrically? Why wouldn't they possibly switch to hydrogen? You just, you never know what's going to happen in this play of this entire sector. So I'm, I'm happy to dip my hand in a couple different cookie jars here. Next one we'll be talking about here is GIX. So ticker symbol G-I-X. I don't know if it's GIX or GIX, but I just got to give a quick shout out to DJ. Our boy gave this one to us and we were digging into it a little bit. 
Talk to us a little bit about what Up Health is all about. Right. And once again, this is another one that's in the industry that we love to play. It's this telehealth, this transition that's revolutionizing not just the genomics, the bio life sciences, all of this different area of health that I think is going to be the next, you know, uh, SAAS, e-commerce payment processing hype train that people ride on. And Jix is actually really, really interesting. For me, once I started digging in right away, I was interested. So Up Health is going to have agreements to deliver digital healthcare in more than 10 countries globally. So it's a combination merger, actually, between UpHealth and CloudBreak, and then a merger into the SPAC, Jigs, which is really cool. Uh, you see, like, this is just kind of creating a little powerhouse here that's international. It enables a critical shift in care setting from office to home, which we've seen with Teladoc and why we're pounding the table so hard on Teladoc. And it enables providers to more effectively manage patients according to individual risks, which reduces, obviously, the cost of healthcare. And it is bridging local and digital care delivery and addressing at-home patients with health during COVID-19, which obviously accelerated this as well as it did in e-commerce. Like 10 years happened in three months. A lot happening here, a couple mergers inside of a merger, but it's gonna be named UpHealth and it'll be an integrated global platform serving four of the fastest growing digital health markets, integrated care management, global telehealth, digital pharmacy, and tech-enabled behavioral health, which is definitely everything that we've been pounding that digital health should be. And the numbers here, I'm a big fan of too. And so in 2021, UpHealth is expected to generate over $190 million in revenue and 24 million in EBITDA. 69% of the 2021 incremental revenue growth is already contracted. So very, very cool there. And as you've seen with Teladoc, they're probably going to be getting partnerships with some of these bigger guys. Teladoc's been in and out of different partnerships, not just in the US, but in Spain as well. So I'm loving the trend overall here. And for UpHealth, their digital pharmacy, so it's MedQuest Pharmacies, they serve an established network of 13,000 providers. Very, very nice. And their tech-enabled behavioral health services, so TTC Healthcare, specializes in acute and chronic outpatient behavioral health, rehabilitation, and substance abuse. So as we've said, you know, the pandemic's been awful for a lot of people, both mentally and physically. And I think that this is going to be a continued trend where a lot of people are going to be wanting to seek out these mental resources, especially as it's becoming more and more accepted, you know, as a general social thing in the United States. So this is definitely an area that needs to be focused on more. And I'm happy to see that Teladoc and um, UpHealth now are both really focusing on this behavioral health area. It's kind of like the rapper Tyga now. It's like Spack Spack City. And I won't, it's a family <laughs> friend. I won't say that last word there, but uh, I'm loving these Spacks. Healthcare is definitely an industry that I'm super excited about. I know I sent you that book, Physics of the Future by Mikio Kaku. Incredible book. Healthcare is something that I am certainly excited about here coming in the future. Incredible book. And honestly, like, I think I'm going to read it again just because I'm getting so many good ideas for stocks from it. So thanks for sending that my way. I know you send me a lot of these like random tools to try to make me a better investor. And I really appreciate it. I know we've been talking a lot about this space, and honestly, it's been happening for a few weeks now. I think we had our first guest, uh, our friend Sheikdal, came on and started talking about EVs. You know, this space was obviously bound to have a lot of things happen to it. You're revolutionizing something that almost, you know, everyone uses in one way or another. And whether it's going to be between planes or boats or cars or scooters and electric flying drones, like this is the future that we're going to be living in. This is the physics of the future, Avi. So that's why we've been pounding these names. And our last one I'll let Avi tell you about is nothing other than an EV play. Yeah, so it's HCAC. You were talking about boats and cars. And so this one's a little confusing because it's an automotive and a unique one, which I'll get into in just a second. But it's called Canoe. So they're headquartered out of California. So as with any SPAC, obviously, the first thing we do is go through their executive team and see what they look like. Uh, executive chairman is named Tony Aquila. So he's an inventor with over 100 patents. He received the National Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2013. Uh, he also founded AFV partners, Solera Holdings, Max Meyer, and Insera. 
Another guy here is Ulrich Scranz. He was a CEO, worked at BMW for over 30 years. Phil Winker is in charge of propulsion and electronics, worked at QuantumScape. And the last guy here is Alexi Charbono. I'm definitely uh, mispronouncing these guys' names, but he was a former SpaceX guy and Tesla, Honda. Uh, and then Christopher Kuttner is in charge of the vehicle trim. Another BMW, he was at Tesla and Porsche as well. So what's super cool about Canoe is they offer this full-service, all-inclusive membership. So it's not necessarily just the vehicle. You actually can sign up for this membership to use their electronic vehicles. And what really sets them apart from you know other leases or even owning a car is the registration, maintenance, charging, month-to-month -month flexibility, the app interface, access to insurance. So these canoe cars, they're designed for this maximum kind of loft-style interior with a minimized exterior footprint. What's really cool is they offer this 28-minute charge time to reach 80% battery, which gives you 250-mile range. And actually, you're pretty quick. So they go 0 to 60 in 6.3 seconds, 22 windows and seven seats. The design's really centered around this comfort feeling. So I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a, an S-Class Benz, but pretty <laughs> cool. One thing they haven't really talked about quite yet is they haven't published the cost for what this membership is going to be. So that's something we'll want to keep an eye out for. And they've said that ride sharing will be allowed for people that are really looking to make money off of that car itself. Currently, they have an enterprise value of about $1.84 billion. So I don't know. This one's super cool to me. It's very unique, kind of something new in the space. And I'm always attracted to kind of what's the next hot thing out there. And this is definitely one I'm going to be kind of taking a little bit more of a look in over the next couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. Same for me. I think this is something I'm, I'm actually in some of this stock right now trading it. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to turn into a long-term investment or anything until I see much more for the, you know, the cost of membership, what are the numbers going to be? This is more of one of those, I think, kind of a trade or like kind of wait to see what happens because you don't have all the information out yet. And, you know, when, when in doubt, get out. All right, Tony, we are rounding the bases here. Just a couple left. Thank you all for listening thus far. We're going through a lot, but the last one we want to quickly talk about, another huge shout out to Joey Salicho. Ticker symbols currently is DMYD. This is going to turn into Genius Sports Group. Tony, I know you're not the biggest sports guy. Just started getting you into sports gambling, so probably going to be your downfall. Hopefully not. But uh, talk us a little bit about why you like Genius Sports Group so much. Avi, I'm definitely not a sports guy. I actually just opened a DraftKings today because everyone's doing it, like especially you, who I talk to all the time. And so I'm already down $100, and I actually don't really know exactly what I'm doing. So I'll probably stick to stocks, options, and SPACs for now. But who knows? Maybe if Avi gets me in one of those DraftKings tournaments, I can make like that million-dollar hit off of not knowing really what's going on. But back to stocks, because I actually love these. I'm actually going to be long DMYD a little bit starter position, just because I know that this betting trend all over the world is getting just so big. And I did trade DraftKings a little bit, but you know that's why we're getting into Feek so early. And that's why I think I probably will get into this one more and more over time. So Genius Sports captures and provides sports stats, data, and technology that powers these sports betting platforms everyone's talking about. So the market's exploding at over 25% annually, and most states are starting to legalize sports betting. And that's going to be a huge growth catalyst. And I honestly think that they're going to get a 2 to 3% times in their revenue growth in 2020, just you know, with the administration, the way it's going, more and more of the sports utilization, which you mentioned on another episode of the podcast. And I think that because Genius is another picks and shovel play, which we absolutely love to do, it's got a clear economic moat here. So their proprietary technology to track and record in-game stats on behalf of major sports leagues in exchange for data rights is very, very awesome. You know, they have 7,000 plus statisticians and agents on the ground managing 240,000 events per year. So pretty insane numbers there. They're getting long-term contracts with sports leagues and customers. 
And there's actually a significant opportunity here for not just the organic growth, but inorganic growth via mergers and acquisitions. And it's obviously a really highly fragmented market for tech here, content and media within sports. It's ripe for consolidation. Uh, you've got people like, you know, NCAA, March Madness, Go Duke, because I'm a Dukey, Premier League, you got Bet365, SkyBet, DraftKings, Patty Power. I mean, and you got FanDuel, obviously. So talk to us a little bit about that one specifically. Yeah, Tony, FanDuel's this real unique stock here. So it's actually kind of hidden under this ticker symbol of PDYPY. There's a part of Patty Power that is rebranded here. Uh, it's at $100 right now. They also have investments here from Fox Corporation. They own a part, and they actually have the option to purchase about 18.5%, uh, as well as Boyd Gaming, which currently has a 5% stake. So this company, Flutter, had bought the larger FanDuel stake last week which now allows them to kind of take DraftKings on even more head on here within the U.S. So it really is powerful. I'm personally, as I mentioned, a DraftKings guy. You know, I've been riding that from the IPO. But what's really interesting here is that FanDuel has this valuation of $11.2 billion, which seems to be the significant discount from where DraftKings is at. And in 2020, their net revenues are going to be around $850 million. Comparing that to DraftKings, they're about $540 to $560 million. So it really does seem like this discount Fox Business, again, had mentioned that FanDuel has 9.5 million customers betting, which is about 43% of the market share in legalized sports today in the States, uh, according to the third quarter results. So what's really interesting here is I think overall, just the valuation that's used in this duel could really kind of almost put pressure on DraftKings as a stock. It has a market cap over $20 billion today. So at $11.2 billion, this does seem like a discount given the numbers that they're sharing here. Avi, you've grown so much. I'm loving these injections here from you every week. It just, it's awesome to see you grow as a trader in person. But the thing is, these SPACs get incrementally riskier the higher they are away from their initial value when they, you know, when they first IPO'd. So it's usually $10.00. I like Pershing squares at $20 because it's the bigger SPAC, but you should know, obviously, if you're investing in the SPAC, you should know uh, the price that it came on in the market at. So for me, I'm looking at these things as if they're 10 to $11 range, nothing's really happened yet. If you look at the management, you like the management, you like the area that they're going to be targeting. That's something for me where I'm going to start putting cash reserves into. So I know everyone's saying, well, you know, the market's doing super well. And I agree. And so I want to be a little bit less risky because I've had a really good year and I don't want to mess it up. But I also want to be able to be in opportunities that can in three months, maybe, or two months if earlier, maybe six months can explode. So I want to highlight these two SPACs that I'm going to start putting money into as almost a cash reserve because they just came on the market within the last month. And I think that they both at some point in the future will be at least 100% gainers. And I'm happy to keep cash in there at a floor price of this $10 value, which has a lot of upside and a little bit of risk. So these two SPACs are CMLF, so CM Life Sciences. And the only reason I'm a big fan of this one is because the CEO of one of my favorite stocks, Invite, so NVTA, and Twist, the CEO of Twist as well, are on the board for this SPAC. And for me, that's really all I need to know. They're targeting tools in medtech, synthetic biology, diagnostics, and they think they see a deal in the first quarter. So for me, putting my money in something that can almost be thought of as a cash reserve because it's at that $10 floor price and it has a deal coming imminently in uh, the first quarter of 2020, for me, is a no-brainer. That's what I'm going to be doing. As I take profits and move it into this less risky asset class uh, at $10 SPACs. And also another one I want to highlight, which Avi and I honestly were talking about at the same time randomly. We just texted each other and said, man, this SPAC is actually going to be one of the huge ones. And it's one we've been thinking about for a while. It just actually came on the market recently. HAACU, so Health Assurance Acquisition Corp. And the only reason I'm a huge, huge fan of this, and it's really all I need, is that this is the former Livongo leaders who left Teladoc when Livongo merged with Teladoc. 
to start this company. So I don't know what they've got in store, but listen, LVGO gave me $25, $150, one of my biggest returns ever of a stock. Do I trust these guys to do it again? Yes, I'm going to put my money with them just for that reason. And once again, they're going to be expecting a deal sometime early next year. So, you know, who knows? Maybe they come out way faster. But regardless, it's at $10, just relaxing, not really doing anything crazy because it's new. And I have a hard time keeping cash reserves. So this is actually a great way for me to de-risk a lot of my positions, but still be invested in something that at any moment could just go 50% or 100% because I love the founders and who's actually going to be back in a spec and the area they're in. Holy moly, Tony. That was quite a bit as we wrap up episode 18 of Pounding the Table in our second mini monster section. We want to thank everyone again for all the support, the comments, the retweets, the DMs, all the love on Twitter. Just know that Tony and I love you all the same back. Thanks to everyone who signed up for our email list. Don't worry if we haven't sent you emails yet. We haven't sent one to anyone. So we'll be reaching out here kind of towards the end of the New Year's with some exciting opportunities to get even more involved with pounding the table. Yeah, obviously there's a ton of names that we're talking about now. A lot of these have news coming really soon. So, you know, Feeks on the 16th, GIX is on the 8th. You've got just a bunch of these names happening within the next two weeks. We wanted to highlight them as they're the mini monsters that we see right now. And I just want to say again, you know, I know that I took off some risk uh, last week, but most of that for me was taking off some of these like higher risk option positions that I've been having for a while and moving money into these $10 floor SPACs, specifically the two I last mentioned, CMLF and HAACU just as a cash reserve kind of situation there. But once again, I've really pounded the table on SPACs right now because I think it's one of those opportunities that looked like in 2001, the dot-com next to any name popped. I think that, you know, in 2017, the same with crypto, all coins exploded. It didn't even matter what it was. But as always, you should be a prudent investor. You should do your DD, look into the SPACs, look into the management, the revenues, which company, what size valuation, all that matters here too, especially if you're being a long-term investor there. So it, it is, I think, the opportunity to change your life in the next three to eight months with these names. But risk is always still there. You know, if the market has a 200-point sell, then SPACs will get crushed regardless. But that's why here at Pound the Table, we make sure to always talk about opportunities and risks at the same time. So I hope you guys all have a great trading week. I hope you heard something you liked here. And we'll see you back next week for episode 19 of Pounding the Table with Mini Monsters Edition 3. <laughs> Y'all on level one, I'm level three. Pounding on the table for my team. Every night I flex, I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big.